0: Hello, and welcome to BioCentury, this week's special podcast. I'm Virginia Lee, Associate Editor at BioCentury, and today I'm joined by Tony Chen, a partner at Jones Day in Shanghai, to discuss a commentary he wrote for us this week on the latest pharmaceutical IP reforms in China. Tony, it's great to have you on.
1: Thank you, Virginia, to have this opportunity talking to you.
0: Tony, until recently, China was primarily a branded generics market, and in the last several years, it has quickly transformed into a major hub for pharmaceutical innovation. Last month, China amended its patent law and introduced a couple of provisions designed to increase protection of pharmaceutical inventions. Can you start by giving us a big-picture view of what those new provisions are? Yes.
1: This Fourth Amendment of Chinese patent law Introduce two very important provisions for the pharmaceutical industry. They are for establishing a patent linkage system to help pharmaceutical innovators to better protect their patents covering pharmaceutical products. Another provision is to allow innovators to capture some of the patent life lost during the LANCY patent examination and also the pharmaceutical regulatory review and approval process for up to five years uh, of extension of the patent life.
0: Those books sound like positive developments, but in your commentary, you say that the changes fall short of what innovator companies in China were hoping for. So what were their expectations going in and where exactly are those provisions falling short?
1: Innovators would like to get stronger patent protection, similar to what the innovator received when Hatch-Waxman Act was passed in 1984 in the United States. So for patent linkage, for example, they were hopeful that when a generic drug company decide to seek approval of a generic drug before the innovator's patent expire, the innovator will have the opportunity to start a legal proceeding and let the court to adjudicate whether the generic drug infringe and whether the patent is valid. So the court will be given sufficient time to render decision. And then for the regulator uh, in China, this is the agency called the NMPA, to decide whether they should approve the generic or wait until patent expiration. However, the Chinese patent law is silent on the length of time for the litigation. The NMPA and CNIPA, which is the Chinese patent office, they put out draft measures in September about how to implement the patent law, and the draft measure will only provide A nine month stay period for Chinese court to render this decision. Now, in reality, the Beijing IP court, which will have the exclusive jurisdiction to decide this case, it takes, by historic statistics, more than 20 months to decide a pharmaceutical litigation. Okay, this means that before the Beijing IP court can render a decision. The stay period has already passed. NMPA can approve a generic. So when that happens, this linkage mechanism doesn't really give the innovator the benefit of the patent.
0: And how do those timelines that they've laid out compare to those in the U.S. Hatch-Waxman Act?
1: This is an excellent question. This is what I call the devil is in the details. I, I, I will first start with what people are familiar with, the time periods in the U.S. There are many numbers in the U.S. system people know very well. One is the stay period. That's 30 months when innovators start to enforce the pharmaceutical patent. listed in the orange book that is being challenged by a generic drug company the generic approval process at the U.S. FDA is stayed for 30 months. Another important number is 180 days or six months. And that is when a first generic challenger succeed in challenging innovators' Orange Book patent, that generic challenger will be granted 180 days of uh, exclusivity during which time U.S. FDA will not approve new generic drug companies applications for the same drug. Now in China, the 30 months become nine months I just mentioned, and the 180 days becomes 12 months, a full year. As you can see, it's becoming a reverse order of the US protection. The US innovator gets this 30 months time and the successful generic gets six months. Whereas in China, the innovator gets nine months and the generic drug successful challenger gets 12 months.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the incentives are flipped there. That's right. And so do do the new Draft measures in China apply to both biologics and to small molecule drugs?
1: Yes and no. Biologic does get included in China's patent uh, linkage mechanism. However, biologic is uh, a stepchild in that biologic does not uh, even get any time of stay period. So if a biosimilar company challenge a innovator's patent protecting a biologic, NMPA will not grant any stay period while the innovator is launching a litigation to enforce the biological patent. That's one major disadvantage being given to biologic under China's patent linkage, the draft measures anyway. Another is that in terms of the type of biologic patents that are allowed to be listed in the Chinese version of the orange book. For small molecule drugs, the draft measure will allow compound patent, composition patent, and indication patent to be listed in the orange book, which then can benefit from the linkage uh, mechanism. But for biologics, only sequence and the sequence structure patent can be listed in the orange book, not the composition patent and not indication patent.
0: Now, in your piece, you also say the new law will likely buttress the patent cliff in China. Can you walk us through your thinking there?
1: Yes. Patent cliff is a very new phenomenon in China, really started about three years ago. Before that, when a pharmaceutical product's Chinese patent expired, the sales volume in China often stays stable and sometimes even keep increasing because it is very much a branded generic market. Now, since three years ago, China has introduced a volume-based procurement system for pharmaceutical products sold to Chinese hospitals, government hospitals. Most of the hospitals in China are you know, government hospitals. Under the VBP program, when a particular drug has become a generic, there are multiple companies selling the same drug, then the government uh, could name that drug for a bidding process. For the national-wide hospital market, the lowest bidders or several bidders, they will be allowed to continue sell to the hospital market, and other companies will not be able to sell to this hospital market. The government will set a ceiling price for bidding. The end result being that companies would bid a very low price to stay in the hospital market. We see in the latest round of VBP bidding, the average price drop is 72%, and there are examples of price cuts of over 90, even 98%. This is showing you when you lose patent protection, you have a multiple generic, and the drug price can drop precipitously, patent cliff. Now, because of the VBP program now has touched many old drugs, it means that the generic drug companies, now they need to fill their pipeline. That means that they need to be more aggressive attacking the innovator's Chinese patent so they can bring new generic drugs into their pipeline to make up for the loss of a revenue of older products which have been listed on VBP. With the linkage system set up, then it means that there will be a lot of generic drug companies filing paragraph four certification against best-selling pharmaceutical product that are still patent-protected in China.
0: Tony, what is the rate of pharmaceutical patent invalidation in China right now?
1: It is very high, unfortunately. We reviewed 123 patent invalidation decisions relating to pharmaceutical patents in the three-year period between 2017 and 2019. We found that of these uh, 123 decisions, only 29% result in the pharmaceutical patent to stay valid. And 46% resulting in the pharmaceutical patent to be invalidated entirely. And the 25% with the patents invalidated Partially, so that is very high invalidation rate by international standard. To use an analogy, this feels like nobility during the French Revolution. You know, you are putting them under a guillotine. When these patents are challenged in China at the CNIPA, chances are they will be invalidated. Now we know for both patent linkage and uh, patent term extension, you need to have a valid patent to begin with. If you don't have uh, a valid patent, it, it doesn't matter. The law provides linkage and the term extension. You're not going to get any when you do not have a valid patent.
0: What can innovator companies in China doing right now to prepare for these expected changes and when are they expected to take effect?
1: The new patent law will go into effect on uh, June 1st, 2021. Now, innovative companies, they are still in the process of uh, digesting the meaning of uh, this new patent law. And then I, I should say that the draft measure I refer to in my article is not a final. Okay, so so actually there is still some opportunity for companies to voice their concern about the draft rule being not friendly to uh, innovation because the patent law itself, it's written in very general language the rules uh, could be written in a more pro-generic fashion or a neutral or a pro-innovation fashion the current draft rule for public comment i think it's a more pro-generic innovators some of them are voicing their concern and i think more of them should study where they think uh, the rule should be modified to be more innovation friendly, this is the right time for them to be proactive and uh, be vocal about what they prefer to see.
0: And when does that comment period for them close?
1: Okay, there are two deadlines. One has closed, that is the commentary deadline for the draft measure put out uh, in early September by NMPA and uh, CNIPA. Now, if they come up with a uh, newer version of the rule and seek additional public comments, they, there may be more opportunities for company to give comments. There is another very important interpretation. This is the Supreme People's Court Put out the draft the judicial interpretation about how to implement the patent linkage uh, uh, Article 76 of the new patent law, and uh, this came out last week of uh, October. The comment period lasts until December 14th, so we still have uh, several weeks for companies to study and uh, provide the comments on this draft judicial interpretation.
0: That is all we have time for today, but Tony, before you go, I do want to mention that you will be moderating a panel at the BioCentury Bay Helix China Healthcare Summit next Tuesday, November 10th. Can you give us a preview of what that panel will be about and who you'll be speaking with?
1: Yes. We have three very uh, distinguished panelists who are very experienced with patent linkage in the United States, uh, how it worked there. And they have very strong ideas about what the patent linkage should achieve for China. We have Dave Capos. He is former director of uh, US Patent and uh, Trademark uh, Office. And we have Judge uh, Yongsen Chen, who is a retired IP judge from uh, Beijing High Court IP Chamber, and we have Dr. Dajun Yan, founder, co-founder, and the CEO of uh, Ascentage, uh, a uh, innovative pharmaceutical company based in China with many promising anti-cancer drugs in late-stage clinical trial and waiting for approval.
0: Wonderful. We are looking forward to it. That is it for today. Registration is open for our 7th BioCentury Bay Helix China Healthcare Summit. This digital event runs from November 9th to November 13th and includes strategic panels, one-on-one virtual meetings, company presentations, and two conference reports from our partner, McKinsey. Register today to get immediate access to our pre-event program, including BioCentury Business Intelligence on China Biotech. All of the podcasts are available at our website, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. Music for all of our podcasts is provided by Kendall Square Orchestra, which connects science and technology professionals and other members of the greater Boston community to collaborate, innovate, and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education.